Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode is brought to you by the great people at Gamesurplus.com, where you can find the current hits, the classics, and the hard-to-find titles. Let Carmen and Elaine find your games and receive free shipping for all contiguous U.S. shipping orders over $120. Remember, Gamesurplus.com, great people, great selection, and great prices. And in Canada, amazing stories in Saskatoon. If you're in the Saskatoon area, come by the store for Friday night board games, play and receive 20% off the purchase of any board games in the store. Amazing Stories Comics is the winner of the Joe Schuster Award for Best Comic Retailer in Canada and nominated in 2016 for the U.S. Eisner Spirit of Comics Retailer Award presented at Comic-Con. Hey there, welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. I'm your host, Norm, and on this episode, we're going to do a topic show. We're going to talk about gaming communities, and I would say in the spirit of the topic, we have Of Dyson Men. What is a cardboard cohort? Well, cardboard cohorts are board gamers banded together who support and inspire one another and become colleagues and friends in the board gaming community. And with that being said, we would like to support the good, the bored, and the ugly. They have a podcast on iTunes, and they record weekly live stream YouTube content. So please check them out. Welcome back. I am so fired up to get this episode rolling. Right now, I'm solo, but I'm hoping that uh, soon enough, my cohorts of uh, Luke and Ryan will pop in. And uh, if they do, we will try to seamlessly thread them into the episode. But I would like to take this opportunity to introduce of Dyson Men. Um, you guys take it away. I'll let you introduce yourselves. Uh, and uh, yeah. All right. Well, if you got to be solo, it's best to be solo with three other guys, I suppose. Um, uh, hi, I'm Adam from Of Dyson Men. I'm the hi. cool one. <laughs> There's a cool one. Yeah, Apparently. I'm like I'm like the the ginger spice. I'm cool and good looking, and everybody wants me. And then you're like the Victoria. You're kind of snobby, and nobody really enjoys you, Ryan. And and I I think you're Chad's like the Mel B. He's like the one with actual talent. There you so. go. I'm I'm okay with that analogy. Yeah, I think it's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, sporty spice uh, pulled a hammy there you go you should introduce yourself guys i said my name yeah i'm chad um also a host of of dyson men i thought we agreed to call ryan and luke r2 and d2 oh good point good i'm pretty sure we discussed that beforehand yeah all right we'll go with two and three po right (laughs) it'll change every uh, every minute and we'll just be like hey you oh okay (laughs) so we've got adam we've got chad and we've got and I am uh, Ryan of Dyson Men, and I've already forgotten which Spice Girl I am. Baby Spice, was that it? I said you were posh. Posh, posh. right. That's right. Posh, I, I think I just said Victoria. Everybody yeah. should know which one is which on a first Well, name. of course. Emma, Victoria, Jerry, Mel, Mel. So. <laughs> the, uh, I have this feeling that only our age will understand what's going on. There could be a fraction of the audience going, "What is this a cooking show? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> To be honest, Sage? that's most of our episodes. So yeah. Yeah. I feel like Dennis Miller a lot of the time when I talk to my friends, they just what what metaphysical what? 
<laughs> just smile and nod. He'll he'll leave us soon. <laughs> um, so the um, yeah, we've been talking about um, doing this back and forth. I think for man, for to me, it feels like a year. And, yeah, it's been um, a while. Yeah, we uh, and we finally talked you into it, eh? All right, <laughs> <laughs> took yeah. us a year. How come I'm holding the short stick? Hey, what's going on? <laughs> um, uh, so and it's and it's interesting that uh, not interesting, kind of by design, but with the topic gaming communities, um, that's basically how we connected was through one of these um, uh, areas of gaming um, communities that we're going to talk about, and. Uh, that uh, to me, that was the click for the topic was I've got all these new friends that have come with my interest in this new hobby. So that to me, it was just a perfect fit. But before we do that, we always have to talk about stuff that's going on as far as gaming. So I thought we would um, like every every new group of friends likes to share with the other group. Hey, you got to try this and you got to try that. So I thought let's do an under the radar kind of feature. Um, and basically, it's games that have just not have any spotlight on them or any hype or anything like that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch it to uh, I'm gonna pitch it to you guys first, and and uh, you know you're the guests, so I'll try and be a nice Canadian and pass it off to other nice Canadians. <laughs> I think Adam has the oldest game, so maybe you should go first. Okay, so. I will go first. We're talking about games that are under the radar, games that are underappreciated. I actually have two because I, I want to bring one up, but I brought this up in the show like four times in a row now. So I'm just going to bring it up and then I'm going to throw it away and I'm going to bring up a different one. But <sighs> In the Shadow of the Emperor is this fantastic game from 2004 where it's kind of an abstract representation of the king's court in the in the Holy Roman. Uh, actually, I don't know what empire it is. Some empire, probably the Holy <laughs> Roman Empire. I'm not even sure, to be honest. But the idea is like you you... You try and like uh, keep your people in the right places, having the right favors, and you you don't necessarily want to be emperor, but you want to score points by like I can't remember what it is, doing stuff for the emperor and getting points somehow. And you and being age, in the shadow, right? <laughs> and you age, but you can be the emperor too, and getting and being the emperor is good too. And as you age, uh, people kind of get married and they have descendants, and then they age too, and and people die off after they get too old and stuff. And it's it's really cool. It's very abstract, but it really nails that like uh court intrigue feel uh quite well that came out in 2004 and i i'm gonna take two full turns i realize but there's a lot who, of cool games that came out in 2004 who's the designer i'm i'm like i love abstract and so i i am usually the one who googles things that adam says during the show so i've been googling in the shadow of the emperor and yes it's the holy roman empire for, for starters and the uh, designer's name is ralph burkert I don't recognize the name very well. I've also played in the Shadow of the Emperor. It's a it's a fantastic game. It's really cool. And and like okay, so 2004 was a big game, big big year. This was like a year where uh, I think uh, Risk Risk 2210 had come out before this already, but Risk was really starting to like make its thing. So Godstorm came out. Um, there was a bunch of Carcassonne like expansions came out. That, like they were sort of getting into that the city, the princess and the dragon, the Cathars, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, there was like. Um, Friedrich, the board game. Well, Adam, don't yeah. talk about Friedrich because that's my response. <laughs> okay. But I Google. But 2004. Well, 2004 has Power Grid. It's got Doom. Stan One. It's got Doom. Stan it's got One. War of the Ring. Memoir 44. It was a huge year. That was a big year. War, yeah. War of the Ring. That's that's at the bottom of the list. Betrayal at House on the Hill. But who cares about uh, In the Shadow <laughs> of the Emperor? But we do. We do. It's a great game. But nobody yeah. else did. I don't we... even think most people haven't even heard of it. Right? Heroescape. Heroescape. Under the radar. 
<laughs> so, but I, I want to steal another turn because the other game I want to talk about is actually super awesome. So it's this game called Star Wars Star Warriors, and it came out in 1987. Star Wars Star Warriors. So it's Star That's Wars. A great brand. title, by the way. Um, uh, and it is it is basically <laughs> like dog fighting in. Um, you know, TIE fighters and X-Wings and B-Wings and A-Wings and all these things in space. Um, you can fight a dis- uh, Star Destroyer too, but, and, and, and the way it plays out is it's actually really cool. Uh, both players, it's like two, one against one sort of, they, well, actually it can be more than that too. It's like up to six players um, or maybe four. Actually, it says here two to six, two to six players. Okay, anyway, <laughs> like six players. But you plan all your moves ahead of time. So you like, you have a planning board and you like, I'm going to do a roll. I'll do a barrel roll. Anyway, uh, and you like put all these little moves and you have a certain skill level of your pilot. So that's kind of neat too, because you can have like the one ace X-Wing pilot fighting like a squadron of TIE fighters. Um, And then everyone reveals their plans basically. And then you kind of go in turn order and you like try and do stuff. And the more stuff complex your plan, the harder your roll. If you fail, kind of like, you lose and you can like cause damage to your ship sometimes where you can just like, Oh, you lost the last turn. So you weren't able to turn as sharp as you thought you were and blah, blah, blah. And it's super cool. It's, it's maybe the, the, the neatest thing. It does take a while. Like the, the super fast, you know, pew, pew, pew is not quite there. It feels a lot more long tactical, but it sort of represents only a few seconds of actual fighting time. Um, and nobody's heard of this game. Like nobody. And I don't know why, because it was super awesome. And I we played the crap out of it, me and my social group back in the day. Well, Have you guys X-Wing ever heard was, of this? Well, I've heard of it because I've seen it on your shelf. That's the only reason I've okay, heard of yeah, it. Yeah. Right. I have never heard of this. And I'm just blown away at the fact that in 1987, they had some pretty, you know, yeah. deep programmed movement stuff. Oh, yeah. Well, and it sounds it's interesting because like, I was going to say. It sounds like X-Wing with chits. Right. Exactly. Because the, the whole X-Wing and now X-Wing 2.0 that just released uh, recently, uh, that is very much the same idea. You have a, a miniature that represents one of an X-Wing or a B-Wing or an A-Wing. You program your, your certain turns. Your pilots can get stressed and they have pilot-specific abilities and all that stuff. So it sounds like they took that older system and just kind of revamped it as a minis game. Yeah, and it, it used to be on a hex map rather than just like measured out and stuff. And right. there, It was more like dated for when it came out, but it was, it was a really, really cool game for when it came out. Um, some other notable things that came out in 1987 to shadow uh star warriors though were things like the fury of dracula arkham really? horror the one edition blood bowl um what were some other ones on here i don't know something called uh, the really nasty horse racing game that does <laughs> that is chaos marauders which was like one of those uh final uh fantasy flight games that didn't quite like take off as well, but it was about orcs and stuff. So you can anyway. tell from the list that you're getting for 1987, though, that this is before the hobby became like really popularized and the Euro games came over yeah. and people were importing yeah. games from Germany because these are a lot of games, workshop games, like Fury of Dracula and that yeah. kind of thing. So it's still that those early days of hobby games where it was a little bit more niche. Yeah, totally. Which and is probably of- why Star Warriors is not really that well known of a game. And yeah. and where the designs were were pretty raw because I mean there weren't too many people cutting their teeth as far as games that made their way to our continent. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the competition on game shelves is a lot lighter too. So like you didn't 
have to have that premier game to be able to sell it because your choices were pretty slim anyway. Uh, like right. Adam, I took both turns, so yeah, go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> and I was also going to say, as usual, Adam took way too long, so I'm going to take a really quick turn here. Uh, last, I think our last episode was about like uh, player etiquette and like not taking too long in your turns. Well, um, <laughs> well, done. Uh, well done. So mine is also from 2004. Oh, in 2004, also Power Grid, not you know a small little game there. Uh, but mine was Friedrich. Friedrich is a fantastic game. It's uh, very light crossover between euro game and war game and it's played with a regular deck of cards and it's a spectacular strategy game it takes about four hours to play it's about the seven years war and uh it's it's also unique in that it's uh three versus one sort of there's only one winner but uh it's it's basically three versus one so i would suggest that people check out friedrich if they want to try a unique very underlooked game i was surprised at how few ratings there were of it on board game geek because i thought it had better name recognition than it's had yeah. i think people know know of it but haven't played it yeah, well, I I think say, it, yeah. go ahead chad go ahead uh does that game actually come with a deck of cards or do you have to supply it it, it comes with a deck of cards because i don't think it's quite oh, okay. a 52 card deck but it is oh, played with, okay. like you could use the cards for a poker deck but i believe right. it has a few more in the deck than that yeah all right so um Brian, do you uh, do you want to have a, a second shot? Because we're 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 missing two hosts, so we can just balance out this time by <laughs> right. by a double dipping. Okay, well, it's it's not quite a double dip, but you know, Friedrich has sort of a successor to it, and that game is Maria. And Maria is a little higher rated on Board Game Geek. It's got a little higher level of uh, entry. It's got a little bit more layers of complexity to it. And it's a three-player game instead of a four-player game. But it's essentially the same mechanics as Friedrich. And again, it's got like 2,400 ratings on Board Game Geek. And for comparison, um, Power Grid, also released in 2004, has tens of thousands of ratings. So, you know, it's, it's to me, an equal in terms of quality of game, but for just whatever reason, those uh, systems didn't really uh, grab people as much as the other ones did. Maybe mm -hmm. theme. I'm not sure. A little too historical for people. The uh, that one popped on my radar because of uh, heavy cardboard um, bringing that to. Uh, I think they did a playthrough, and um, and again back to this whole connecting to our communities idea that his I guess his tastes or what he's showing on his network and his on his channel. Uh, appeal to me so that one yeah right away when i saw that you put that on your notes i kind of went yay i get to learn more about this game <laughs> well and speaking of gaming community uh i this is a game that adam partook in as well we had four simultaneous games of friedrichs we had 16 players at a big gaming convention playing friedrich at once at four tables side by side and it was awesome it was and then cool. in came the schnitzel <laughs> but dum bum um uh I'm good. That's a good. Uh, that's a good pitch to Chad. There what you do go. you got for some under the radar stuff? Uh, so Ryan and Adam have been at this whole gaming thing a lot longer than I have. So mine's mine's a more recent one. Uh, so I I'm gonna throw in Tobago from 2009, which is a great game. Uh, I think it recently got a reprint a year or two ago. Uh, but the whole it's it's not very popular. I actually came across a play just a random game I learned on Board Game Arena, which is an online uh, browser based way of playing games with other players. Uh, but they had Tobago on there, and I decided to pick it up. It, great game, unique game. I haven't played any game like it since. Uh, the whole concept of Tobago is you're a group of explorers on this island trying to dig up all the treasure on this on this treasure island that you found, 
and uh, each player has a little scrap of map. So you might have something that says uh, the treasures beside a palm tree, or it's in the biggest forest on the island, or something like that. So on your turn, you you start contributing these little snippets of a of a treasure map, and it keep going until you eventually get to a subset of instructions that's so specific there's only one hex that it could possibly be on the board and the board's dynamic and and, and modular so you get a different board every time you play uh and as soon as uh that that one hex is identified someone has to go and dig it up and as soon as they dig it up you get to split the treasure but the way you split the treasure is based on how much of the map you contributed to find the treasure. So if it took five cards to find the treasure and I added three of those five cards, I get three pieces of treasure. And this is one of my favorite parts of the game. When you dig up the treasure and you kind of open it and, and, and figure out who gets what, because I got three things, uh, say the treasure is five cards. So you'll take six cards off the deck, the treasure deck. Um, I get to look at three of them because I contributed three out of the five. The other players get to look at one or two, depending how much they did. They all get shuffled together. And then in a specific order, you have to either take or pass the treasure. So if I know there's a six card in there, which is the highest card in the game, um, and a two comes up, I'm going to pass on that because I know there's a two. But none of the other players knows there's a six necessarily. And it's it's jumped up a little bit more in that some of the treasures have curses in them. So if you're stuck with a curse and you haven't walked away from the treasure yet, um, you actually lose some of the gold that you won previously in the game. It's kind of a luck fest. It's kind of a random uh, mishmash of, of mechanic and theme and stuff like that. But I have not been able to find a game like that. Cryptid was close, but not not nearly as good. I, uh, I I have the same opinion. Um, Brian, R. Ryan, R. Squared, or R2, whichever <laughs> we're going to call it. Yeah. Ma math Boy, we can work with Math Boy. There you go. Um, he brought that to uh, to school with the Games Club, and I, I grokked this thing immediately and just loved that dimension of, of intuitively and deductively um, working this map out with these cards and forcing it in towards your card strategy. And like you said, there's some randomness, but you can mitigate that by trying to strategically play those cards. And um, yeah, when I played Cryptid, that was my first comparison was, mm, right. it's not as good as Tobago or Tobago. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Well, however you pronounce it. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, I hated Cryptid. I don't know if you caught the episode where I just berated Cryptid for five minutes. I did not like that <laughs> game. Um, but but it does share a lot of the kind of common backbone. Uh, I've never had a close game of Tobago is kind of my biggest complaint with it. Like every single time we've played Tobago, someone has won by 15 or 20 points in like a game where you get 30 points to win. Mm -hmm. um, but it's always fun. It's always a blast to play. So uh, I can forgive it that one little thing. <laughs> Well, and I mean, the, the journey of that, of discovering, I mean, even when I lose, I still have fun because, oh, hey, totally. I, I, you know, it would have turned, it would have turned left if I could have, but you had that, the card, right? right. That, that made it progress into the opposite direction that I wanted. So, I mean, that's what a swing happens. So, yeah, exactly. uh, no, I know, I, I, I will immediately play this game if anybody asks for it. For sure. Like I said, there's an implementation of it on Board Game Arena, so that's that's a great way of getting a few plays in. Um, some of the competition that year in 2009 was Small World. Ooh. Which is a pretty big name. Yeah. Uh, the Resistance came out in 2009. And as much as I hate to admit it, Cards Against Humanity was also released in 2009. <laughs> you can see why Tobago went under the radar then. Those are oh, yeah, totally. Massive, Those are big names, games. right? Yeah. Yep. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention in, about Star Warriors? <laughs> back to me. Bring it back. Um, you can actually, you can play it 
with the role playing game that the Star Wars role playing game that was out around that time. The D6 um, and so, game. Yeah, and like basically oh, nice. the the skill level was the same so you would literally just be like, "Okay, we all hopped in this starship and now we're playing Star Wars, but instead of rolling my, you know, whatever skill that you got by whatever points and stuff, you just roll your piloting skill." And it was the exact same dice, the exact same like way things would work out and failure. That's pretty stuff, neat so. actually. It's just like you just moved your game to a board game. Oh, anyway, I, I, wonder, I, I wonder if the, they did um, that naturally or if it was like meant as a supplement to the RPG. I think it was definitely intentional because it like right on the box, it'll say like you can right. use this with the, the role game. So. I picked up the uh, anniversary edition of the D6 uh, Star Wars role playing game just just for sheer nostalgic. <laughs> yeah, it was great flipping through that thing going, oh, I remember this page and not being able to understand it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um. Uh, Chad, hit some double dip. Oh. If you've got something in in your back pocket, I have something lined up, but it's not nearly as researched as the other one. Assault Don't on Doom Rock. Assault oh, on yeah. Doom Rock was the other game I was going to throw in the mix, but I talk about it pretty regularly when I get a chance on our show. But well, Assault give me on some. Doom Rock is great. Um, it's it's a cooperative um, dungeon diving ish type of game, but it's not quite. It's it's again one of those games that's just so unique. It's it's hard to describe because it's very much. Uh, there's a little. The game basically happens in two phases each round. There's kind of a quest phase where you're going to villages and buying armor and equipment and exploring caves and all this other stuff. But uh, throughout the course of the game, you have to have three encounters, and the third encounter is with the boss, and you're trying to get to Doom Rock, which is the last area you can explore, and have this encounter with with one of the the final bad guys. Uh, but the way the battles work is so unique, and I love it. It's um, your character basically has a bunch of ability cards in front of it, and each of them has one of uh, one of the different six-sided dices on them. So you, you you roll, the beginning of a combat round, you roll all the dice you can roll, you assign them to your abilities, and then um, the abilities you assigned are the things you can do in combat. And then the combat itself isn't on a board or a map or a grid or hexes or anything like that. It's just clusters of tokens on the table. And tokens that are together are a group of enemies, and tokens that are in separate areas are things you have to move towards and behind and stuff. And the way they just re represent, like, people hiding in cover and hordes of en enemies coming towards you and being surrounded by three or four orcs and being able to hop in and out of combat and stuff like that. The way they did this with just this really basic token system, amazing. Again, it's just one of those games where I haven't seen another combat system like it, and it's it's just so unique. I could, I could never picture get, getting rid of this game. Oh, cool. The one thing that immediately drew me on that game was just the box art. Yeah, it's also very unique. I think it was a very early Kickstarter game. Um, and I, I didn't get it on Kickstarter. It, oddly enough, just on a local for sale <laughs> website, someone listed Assault on Doom Rock. That's on my wish list. I'm going to pick it up. And then I spent way too much money tracking down the expansion over at BoardGameGeek as well. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad I have that on my shelf. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. That uh, I, I, in our uh, social media back and forth, that was one of the games I told you that uh, was on my uh, hit list just because of everything that I've heard about it, seen about it, um, people talk about it was all positive. Mm -hmm. And in regards to the fact that, like you said, it was a Kickstarter or it was a, you know, a first design for, yeah. for a team kind of thing. And uh, yeah, no, a good, a good, uh, a good first out. From what I from what I understand, so I feel like we're building up an excellent list for when we do our little mini con in Davidson. Just bring all these games. It'd be great. Yeah, yeah. Great idea. 
I don't know if Ryan was uh, here when we started talking about that, but I, th I think we're in the preliminary planning stages of the uh, of the summit series. Yep. <laughs> they might kick Sweet. us out of that A and W though. <laughs> well, I was thinking the what's that bar called? Toppers or something like that. <laughs> uh, I had about three jokes go through my head, but I don't yep. want to have to edit myself. <laughs> okay, well, that's a, where I'm going to come in, and um, I hope that that uh, this one is is not on anybody's radar because I'd love to introduce. But Brussels, 1893. Um, I think out of the list, it's one of the newer games. So shame on me. Um, and uh, and uh, Math Boy Ryan, um, when we we're talking about this right away, he's like. He's like your Ryan, where he's checking the stats out, and <laughs> as I'm talking about, it, he goes, "Oh, it's not that under the radar. It's only uh, eight, it classifies uh, 800 on the overall of Board Game Geek." So, and I'm like, "Oh, well, that's that's I, I got to find something under a thousand or something." But there you go. I love this game because, um, I mean, for me, it was one of those one of those first Euro games when all of a sudden my brain, who used to be into the whole risk thematic, you know, D and D all of a sudden went, what is this Euro thing? I, I like this Euro thing. It's, it's like cardboard riddling for me. <laughs> and, um, but yeah, so, so if you're a Euro fan, the Brussels 1893 is, I mean, it says worker placement, but oh my, it's one of these kitchen sink games that you don't realize because it is by nature a worker placement, but then it turns into an area control. It turns into an auction. It turns into um, a kind of a recipe game when you're trying to um, put artwork onto or uh, um, buildings onto the board to start controlling areas to get secondary powers. And then there's there's a civic side of the board and then there's an artist side of the board. And the way... The the game changes every round um, in regards to your worker placement map. Uh, I don't want to get too in-depth because, again, that's that's where um, our team kind of falls into it. It'd be like, we're just talking about our games, and I've done an in-depth <laughs> review of it. Um, but, yeah, no, it's it's worker placement with, with every other subtle Euro mechanism spice just enough in there to have you, um, you know, when you finish the game, go, I want to play it again, and I want to focus on this angle. I want to play it again, and I want to focus on this angle. Um, I've played it a multiple amount of times, and it's it's one of those, I like to get all kind of zen, one of those games where you have to bend like a reed in the wind. And whatever, <laughs> you're, yeah, well, whatever your opponents are playing, it's like I can get competitive with that, or I can find another venue and steer this stream this way rather than you put a dam into your, I mean, using about four metaphors to describe that. <laughs> but to me, it's one of those games where you can be an obstacle. If I choose, if I let you be an obstacle, or I can say, go play in that corner of the board, because I'm going to focus on this economy of selling my, selling my art nouveau into that matrix, that cool matrices that moves around and you can manipulate to, buy low and sell high i'm just all the little subtle so i'm gonna pitch it to you guys and ask if any of you guys have ever had this experience on this game that I've never... description i was gonna say that description uh immediately reminds me of ryan's favorite game great western trail <laughs> <laughs> if i could choke chad to death right now i would be the uh... for those who don't listen to of dyson man ryan hates Ryan hates cows for some reason. He just hates them. 
He's a prairie boy that don't like no cows. That's so right. that, that that was your angle on Great Western Trail, though, right? It was a little. It, it felt more like a breadth game as opposed to a depth game. I don't know if that's that's true of uh, Brussels. Well, no, a, a breadth game is fine as long as there's some depth to it as well. I felt that right. Great Western Trail was a simple family game that takes forty five minutes to explain. Right. <laughs> well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna argue that point. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Brussels. If you like your euros and and but the thing. I mean, I can understand your take with Great Western Trail that it seems like there's no genuine purpose to my actions, just kind of a script that I'm that I'm is unfolding in front of me as I put the pieces out. I can see that Brussels to me has so much strategy involved with being able to read your opponents because it's not there's no take that at all. But as in area control, there's this sort of passive aggressive I'm going to nudge my way in auction way auction wise to steal this bonus at the end of this phase from you. Right. So mm. it's, yeah. Yeah. You should give it a shot and then, and then we can have a discussion and I can walk away humiliated. And with- <laughs> <laughs> is, there a disgruntled, is there a disgruntled nobleman on the cover? That's what I want to know. <laughs> it's got this really cool, um, uh, um, Turn of the century, Art Nouveau. Um, oh, it's hard to say, like, because it's based off the the whole Art Nouveau movement in Belgium that spread out into France. So it has that turn of the century um, kind of, I want to say, um, structural metal architecture with stained glass kind of vintagey box cover look to it. And that, as I said, uh, um, with uh, Assault on Doomrock, the artwork, boom, that's what. Well, that's what hooked my eye and I went, this is cool. I mean, just like a song. It's like, boom, in the first 10 seconds, I'm going to start to be more interested in it. And yeah, it sucked me in big time. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. how much the, the box art really, really impacts that kind of thing. Well, I just looked it up and I have actually don't think I've ever heard of this game. I've never seen the box. And when I, I read the notes, I thought this is like a, a Crayon Rails train game. <laughs> 18xx. That's was just, I was like, oh, just a random 18xx game is the uh, underlooked game. Aren't, aren't they all kind of only played by 10 people? But uh, <laughs> no, this looks kind of cool. I'm going to do a little bit more reading on it. The, um, yeah, it, to, to me, it's it's one of those games where, um, and I don't want to get cliche and go, it rewards, you know, more plays and more plays. <laughs> it's It depends on how you think. I mean, if you've if you're one of those gamers that can play a game and then go, oh man, I just noticed a whole bunch of levers and buttons that haven't been pushed that I want to push, Nice, right? Um, Ryan's always referred to me as what, you know, what our gaming styles where he's, you know, analytic and he'll, he'll do the whole beautiful mind thing in front of him before he even makes a move. And I'm basically the joker that's like pulling levers and pushing buttons and then kind of like, I don't look like a guy who has a plan, right? And then I usually win. <laughs> um, so yeah, the um, this game is just one of those happy spots for me in regards to I could come back and play it differently and and still get that fresh feel out of it. Nice. Um, if uh, I'm go oh, go ahead go ahead. Yeah, before I move on because I, I know that uh, your co-hosts haven't been able to make this episode. I see in the notes that uh, R two Ryan Rao <laughs> uh, Math Boys suggestion was going to be Rochambeau, and I was thinking like Rochambeau. Why do I know that name? 
that's a game that Cartman played on South Park. Yeah, I was gonna say South Park. Kids in the crotch. I was like, I had, yeah, yeah, that his underrated game. Well, no, absolutely. (laughs) If you look at the the year it came out, (laughs) two thousand three hundred, it lines up right. I might have I might have put that note in there as a joke because oh, okay. All right. he, he said, oh, I got to get to the I got to get to the show notes and, and put my stuff. in." I went, oh, I took care of that for you. And then and then walking down the hall, he said, well, what would you do? And I said, Rochambeau, uh, two, uh, 2332 B.C. Uh, I think the Egyptians played that uh, game as a joke. And uh, and I yeah, I think he uh, after he. Um, was convulsing with laughter. I think he yelled out the word Cartman, and that's I started giggling down the hall. There so um, I don't think it's on Board Game Geek. Uh, I'm not sure. You'd be surprised. Ranked There's higher than you think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So our topic um, is gaming communities, and uh, everybody's a part of. I, I hope everybody's a part of a gaming community, or or. Um, are trying to be a part of a gaming community. So usually when we do some topic stuff, I'll kind of lay down the uh, the framework of discussion just so that people listening can kind of know what we're bouncing back and forth to. So um, in our notes, I, I mean, obviously the, the, the main question is, uh, you know, how do you, how does each one of us define what a gaming community is? And then we've got an identified scales of community and I've run from, from large, uh, large to small. So I went from global community, and I used the example of the BGG website, uh, convention communities such as people who go to Origins and Gen Con and BGG Con, and the new PAX Unplugged, um, which I want to go because I love Philly. Um, digital communities, which is uh, which is um, where I like to sit in as far as uh, as communicating with that realm. Uh, regional communities, uh, state and provincial kind of thing, uh, local, mostly your friendly local game store kind of stuff. And then, and then mostly what a lot of people uh, rely on or the backbone of it is your personal gaming community. And that's your own groups or your game nights or um, in the notes they have, even down to um, like die tribes and, uh, or what do they have here? Um, dyads, dyads and triads. Yeah, dyads and triads, which I think is a very intellectual word for saying saying you know twos and threes <laughs> right <laughs> um, but we're a very smart podcast um so yeah um i'm just gonna bounce it to you guys one of the notes one of the the things to consider as we're discussing this is when does the community size um affect the cohesive cohesiveness of the group right um, yeah. what's a, what's a tight group. And then when, what's, what's, what volume does this group not become tight anymore? Right. So I'm just going to open this up to you guys. Uh, um, what do you guys think defines gaming community? Well, Chad, Regina, I see, the, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Cause I've, I, I, I'm in Saskatoon now, but in Regina, there's a, a pretty, uh, vibrant gaming community, but, uh, I find, uh, from my experience in that, that as it gets larger, it almost breaks into little sub sub communities that are all in the same locale, but they kind of you get the little clicks that um, happen when you have bigger communities. So to an extent, there gets to be that um, tipping point where the larger community maybe is all together because they share a venue or or a, a time where games are being scheduled or whatever it is. Like every Friday night, people go to this place to play games, but then generally the same smaller uh, personal group of people 
tend to sit at the same table. There are those people that will mingle and play with all the different people there. And, you know, they more, maybe they're more social butterflies or whatever it is that, that creates that sort of dynamic. But I find that once you get past maybe like 40, 50, 60 people, it starts to become that thing where it's just like pocket of six, pocket of eight, pocket of four, pocket of five. And they just happen to add up to 60. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd say even, even smaller than that, like, uh, Tuesday challenge that we have here in Regina is is a weekly game night where there's there's regularly 30 40 50 people there oh, but cool. you you even see it there right you you'll always see the same group of people playing together and it's not it's not that people aren't welcoming and, and willing to talk with you and a lot of times when I go to those events I'll walk around to the tables and check out where people are playing and ask their opinion of the game and stuff like that trying trying not to interrupt the game of course but uh yeah a lot of times people just kind of naturally gravitate towards the people they get along with and the people they've have experience playing games with and a lot of times it's uh i i'm a very thematic gamer so people who enjoy thematic games are probably the ones i'm more likely to play with so it's it's not even so much that people purposefully break off into these these subgroups and clicks and stuff i think it's just a natural way of, of humans dealing with large groups of people right well yeah. does that take away from the community at a, as a at all to be honest i mean that's just how things work right i if you're at let's say the tuesday challenge and there's like 40 people there or 50 people there I've noticed that like the few times I've gone, I've played with people I didn't know before because, you know, Ryan met them somehow or somebody pulled them in somehow. And it's just like one person, like I only play with Ryan and Chad and blank sometimes. Right. <laughs> but it's, but it's that blank that kind of gets circulated around it. And it's sort of like, it makes us all more of a community. Even if, you know what I mean? We're not a bunch of individuals who happen to be in one place. We actually are kind of meeting each other and kind of interacting and there's kind of something going on there. So just because we're not like one unified community with like a, it's like a party and everybody knows each other. I think that's okay, right? That's still a community. And I think what's interesting about the, like we're describing general communities, but our community as, as board gamers is the function of our community is to sit down and be social. And to get to know the person. So, I mean, the games themselves could be mechanisms to propagate the community. Mm -hmm. Although I do find that some people that take part in the community are not there to be part of the community. They are there specifically because they want to play board games and you have to sit with other people to play that board game. <laughs> unfortunately, it's like, I, I hate people, but I will yeah. deal with them for the next two hours to play this game that I love. Because I just need, yeah, I just need. I just need a py pylons in the chairs. That's all you are to me. <laughs> Essentially, right? Like, I, I think that um, a lot of these hobby communities, I, I often actually equate in my mind gaming communities with, like, the people that smoked in high school and university because they would, like, develop friendships and community based around nothing more than we smoke during smoke breaks at the same time under that warm vent <laughs> outside the doors <laughs> of the arts and science building on the university campus. And so I, I think that gaming, a lot of the times, like I've met a lot of great friends in, uh, playing games, but there are people that I just tolerated to continue <laughs> the game until the very end. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So it's, it's you kind of me a, again, right? <laughs> well, always, yeah. Anything negative I say is absolutely referring to you, but uh, it's, it's kind of funny because it's, you know, generally when you think of community, you think of just like all um, positives and getting together. And I'm not, I, I don't want to make it sound like it's not largely that, but it's, it's almost like more about the hobby than it is about the people with enough people that it kind of like detracts from the community a little bit when you do have these larger gatherings. Cause I don't know what it is about gaming specifically, 
but it can attract some people. We've talked about this on our own show before. Some people that just don't have the best social niceties. I don't know what it is. Like they're not outright jerks maybe, but they're maybe a little introverted or whatnot. And they just, you know, maybe feel a little awkward with interactions with people. And, and uh, so, yeah, I think a lot of the times when these communities get together, it really is the focus is that piece of cardboard in front of the table and not the human being on the other side of that cardboard. So it's a, it's a weird not- I it's a weird think that, that uh, social awkwardness is limited to gaming communities. I feel no, like any community bigger than 10 people has at least a couple people who have <laughs> problems socially. Well, and that's right. just the dynamics of personality too, right? right. Yeah. The, um, we, were, we were talking about just that point, which, um, which Ryan was talking about in regards to your purpose for being there too. Like a lot of the times, because I come from a background where I, I've, I've been in the sporting community. I, I've, I have had a career in, in semi-professional lacrosse and I know the whole jock, you know, community, but then I come to this community and um, I'm not, it's for me, it's not about being competitive. It's about being, cause I've done that before. To me, it's about, about the dynamic social experience that I can have. And, and like you guys have said, I want to go and meet some people who are into the same things that I'm into now and, and not, I mean, so into it that I'm, you have to talk about it on, on the internet. Right. So it's one of those things where, um, at least for my motivation is to make that social connection. I mean, then, then I can go, Hey, you're good at this. Now let's, let's drop the gloves. Let's play this game. Like if you want to be, then let's, you know, let's put the uh, let's put the Slurpees down and let's dial this game in, right? Um, yeah. But it to me, it um, I try to predict that while I'm sitting down at the game and look at all the players and go, is your motivation here to win at all costs, or is your motivation here to have an enjoyable social moment, or is and then and then I will try to, you know, fit, be that puzzle piece that makes that allows that moment to be that moment that, that people are wanting to, you know, that at least I'm perceiving wants to have happen. Mm-hmm. Actually, you know, sorry, Chad. Uh, one thing that what you were just saying uh, triggered in my mind, actually, because it kind of came off when I was talking that I'm, I'm very negative towards gaming communities, which isn't true. I just think it's sort of like a different sort of a dynamic because you were mentioning the uh, semi-professional lacrosse and that, isn't always going to be the most diverse group. It's usually going to be males that are in their 20s and 30s, right? Whereas gaming, you have a very diverse group of like different ages and uh, you'll have men and women and girls and boys interacting together. And it also tends to be pretty, for the most part, chill, welcoming and friendly. You're not going to get alpha dogs and stuff like that too much at in a gaming community. It's more, and, and you know, maybe that's why like cooperative games are getting more and more popular in gaming is it just, that's the kind of people that quite often are glomming to board games today. And that could relate to that whole shared experience moment mm-hmm. that, you know, who, who wants to spend three hours and then want to flip the table at the end of it. I mean, <laughs> Maybe former lacrosse players. No, I'm joking. <laughs> I usually make sure the tables are bolted down before I play. There you go. Um, so uh, yeah, I mean, I think we've I think we've hit that whole broad scope of uh, what is a gaming community. Um, but as far as scales of community now, what do you guys what looking at that list? Um, if I was to say, 
how what's your participation in those levels of community and i mean i'll start uh, this um i have an account on bgg um i but i don't i don't post reviews on the like as far as our guild page goes i'm i'm rather embarrassed to say that it's fairly inactive because my role in this board gaming community that's not my focus i would say out of that list um my two focuses are the digital community because we're very active on Twitter and um, the local and personal. I think those are my, those are my top three as far as important to me at least. And I'm starting to see them expand as um, like we had just said, let's do a, you know, a summit. It's like, okay, well now my regional community is getting bigger and I'm okay with that. Right. So you guys, what, I, I was going to say it's interesting looking at, at some of those larger ones, even like uh, if you if you refer to Board Game Geek, we're, we're actually quite active on Board Game Geek. We have a daily post every every weekday uh, of a new question. And, and yeah, we have a, a small little gathering of about 50 or so guild members that, that are a part of that. And even of that, like six or seven of them post regularly. But I, I was going to say it's interesting, like even in like the entire scope of Board Game Geek, which is millions, theoretically, of users that are so into the hobby that they're willing to create an account on a website to to mm-hmm. engage in the hobby in that way we still have our own little group we have our own little click and that to me other than honestly from a person-to-person perspective that is how i interact with that community right i, I don't necessarily i'll still read reviews i'll still post the odd review but i don't necessarily care about bgg at large i care about the 50 people that are willing to spend time with us through through the context of that forum right and that kind of follows the uh, what what Ryan was talking about that it gets to a certain point where you just kind of glom up into your common little pockets of right. of interest. And I mean, digitally and and face to face, it's they're very synonymous. So yeah, right. absolutely. Another interesting spin I was going to put on it uh, was the whole Twitter angle. Um, how how do you think that compares as a community as opposed to? locally regionally even even at a convention because i know twitter can a, a lot of times feel like just shouting into the void and sometimes you'll get someone that clicks like it's, yeah. it feels a lot less there's in, just so much more of a volume of data there right in my background in instructional design we refer to as uh, synchronous and asynchronous meaning face to face and uh um online which is which is you know you, a messaging you, pattern. yeah exactly it's like i need to ask a question to my prof but i don't know when i'm going to get the response if it's right. immediate um synchronous is like i'm right in your face you ask me a question i'm going to answer you right away and i think twitter has more of an asynchronous uh, style of communication because like you said you're shouting out and you have to wait until that echo comes back and right. and that echo might not come back the way you want it to come back and, or at all, <laughs> and, or at all, or 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 it might be misinterpreted, and and all of a sudden you get into this tailspin of of tone, you know, misinterpreted tone and misinterpreted uh, use of words, or you know, cultural misnomers, kind of back and forth. So it could be volatile just as much as it could be helpful too. Right. Right. It's yeah, like it's it's hard for me to say, and I hate this because we're we're very active on Twitter as well. But it's hard for me to say compared to other things that are available, that we're part of a Twitter board game community. We certainly contribute to content, and we certainly have people that interact with us. But it doesn't feel like a community like our BGG forum or Guild does, and it doesn't feel like a community like our SAS Games forum and and some of the local events do, right? 
here's you know um, Twitter feels like to me. Twitter feels like to me when you are watching movies and you have all those buyers and sellers on Wall Street just like screaming into the void, <laughs> waving their tickets. To right. me, that's Twitter. Like you can't follow it, and it's you know the information stock market. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And, and like, if we disappeared off Twitter, nobody would really notice, right? Like just, <laughs> yeah, like we could stop posting, and nobody would it's notice. It's just but one it, less thing in your feed, right? Right. But if we stopped posting a BGG, somebody might be like, "Hey guys, uh, what's happening?" <laughs> Yeah. Well, here's here's one of those points in our notes that will contribute to the understanding of this. And it says, um, instability and intimacy of a group, an intimate community, um, members recognize and are recognized by all of the other members. Right. Mm-hmm. So with this, with the Twitter, that recognition isn't there. Yeah. Or, or it's a false true. recognition. And it, it's it's still a thing. Like if you guys never posted again, I would notice that. But that's because we're part of that more intimate group. But again, I I don't think like Twitter kind of enabled that. But I don't feel like Twitter is the reason for it. I guess I don't, I don't know how to how to describe it. But Twitter I've found to be most effective as a public display bulletin board. Right. And whoever wants to walk by and have a look. I mean, uh, using, because I teach, using the classroom metaphor, um, this is what I'm doing in my classroom. Here's my bulletin board. Here's samples, exemplars of what's going on in, in this room. You can come in if you want and engage us, but this is pretty much what's going on in our group, in our community. And our participation with the external is is simply a bulletin board. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. That, that works pretty well. Which doesn't sound like community to me. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a commune of communities, yeah. But it's kind of um, like a tool that the community uses, though, right? At the same time, yeah, it's yeah, almost it, like it's an advertiser. It's... Like it's advertising your community, right? And again, like said, I, I like the classroom analogy, where like in the classroom there is a community of people engaging and, and working together and, and and feeding off of one another. But here's just a, a small, stupid little sample of what we do, right? Yeah. Yeah, the it's interesting because all of a sudden, I mean, we you can get to, uh, and I believe back to what Ryan had said, the gr- the growth potential gets to a certain point that it can't be the same thing it was in the beginning because the numbers, um, the numbers just don't work to account for that. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's all a it's all a factor of scale, right? It's it's to a point where just the human mind can't process that many connections, and and just as almost a self defense mechanism, you're going to recognize the same four people you see every time you go out, and and just kind of naturally start levitating their direction, right? Right. Do um you had mentioned the term number and uh, in our notes do we do we want to bounce around that concept of Dunbar's number? I like that number. Yeah. Yeah. Just just I'll, I'll uh, spill it out there um, just so people know um, Dunbar's number is uh, is from uh, um, research in sociology that identified and it suggests that each person has uh, a cognitive limit or basically a brain capacity to maintain. Um, a certain amount of stable social relationships and that is the number is about 150 so i got like 900 facebook friends <laughs> so i don't know what you're talking about here those are obviously yeah. stable social yeah. relationships they're intimate they're stable and I, uh, there's a thousand of them um <laughs> but yeah because then then we can bounce back to that idea of of that tipping point of of when it becomes 
too many people and that that community has to create an organizational structure now or or you know some sort of framework I think an organizational structure is important even below 150. So we had mentioned before that there's the um, pretty thriving gaming community in Regina. A lot of that is thanks to the amount of organization that's happening behind the scenes on that. So uh, if you go to, there's a website, sasgames.com, and that's where a lot of that uh, gaming group organizes its uh, different events, whether it's the regularly regularly scheduled ones or once a year ones or, or what have you, or, you know, marketplaces where people are selling used games, all that kind of a thing. But there is an executive committee behind the scenes running that kind of a, a thing. You know, it's, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, do we do fundraising? Do we not do fundraising? That kind of thing to keep the website going or uh, so there are those kinds of considerations. So to, in my, in my mind to keep like a thriving, like official gaming community, not just like a group of friends that get together, but an actual gaming community, you need to have uh, good organizational skills and you need to be welcoming. And if you have those two things, you should do. Well. Right. Yeah. I think uh, one one key differentiation, and and we mentioned this, uh, I think even before we started recording, uh, there's a difference between a community and a group. I think a community is, is just what Ryan said, where it's 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 this welcoming body that anyone can feel like they they can interact with and, and enter with without any sort of pretense or knowing anyone, or it's it's just something you can engage with. Whereas a group is usually something you have to be invited into, and that's that's where I think of like. My, my gaming group with with my work buddies is a group. It's something that we've selected of people that we like playing with locally and we play with on a, on a regular basis. Whereas if I engage with the SAS games community or any sort of gaming community, I expect it to be something where like, obviously there's a code of conduct and stuff like that. But short of that, I can show up for an event, sign my name on the registration form, and now I can engage, right? There's there's no selection process. There's nothing like that. So if if you want that community aspect, you you have to keep that in mind. You don't, it's not like I, I'm making this for my friends and their immediate friends type of thing. It's I'm making a thing that people, the public can engage with and, and making sure that's organized and friendly. And again, just with the, the size of things, there's there's more of a commitment there to, to make that a, a successful thing. Yeah, and I think sometimes gaming groups try to become gaming communities, but they don't grow. They don't, you know, they start off as six people. They're like, hey, why don't we get some other people joining? But they either lack the organization or they lack the welcoming aspect or they lack both. So it does feel intimidating if someone sees on Facebook, oh, there's a gaming group. I'm going to go try it out. And they walk in and everyone kind of looks up from their game at them and doesn't really say anything or, you know, explain exactly how everything works. And then they'll never come back. So part of a, because a gaming community is always going to drop members. So to have one that actually can grow or maintain itself, you always need to bring in new blood. And you're not going to do that if you're not letting people know uh, where your events are being held, holding those things consistently, making sure that people understand how things are operating when they arrive there, making sure that people feel welcome when they get there and there's a friendly atmosphere, like those kind of things. If they don't exist, it's not going to it's not going to happen. One of the greatest things that SAS Games does at all of their events, I believe, but I noticed this mostly at Tuesday Challenge, is they have an ambassador who is a volunteer that their their goal that evening is not to sit down and play games. It's to make sure if anyone new comes in, they get engaged within a minute or two and, and 
welcomed in a friendly way and, and told what, what the deal is and what the options are and how people engage with the community, right? Just to set up that framework. And if, like you said, it's just a situation where someone walks into a room, no one says hi after five minutes, they're just going to leave, right? Right. The, the, um, to piggyback on that, um, in, our community, in, in our community, we, uh, we have uh, TuneCon. And right. uh, when I started getting back into um, and di- and discovering the, the the Euro influence to the to the game board game side, um, they have every Monday night uh, uh, an event, and I just thought, you know what, I'm going by myself, and socially, a lot of people, I mean, that right there is their first obstacle. I am yep. not going to go by myself. I have to go with right. somebody, right? That whole wingman thing, and um, so, but I just went, okay, I'm going to go, and and I'll just, you know. Pardon the Canadian expression, but I'm just going to go follow the puck and, <laughs> and see what happens, right? Um, I, the, immediately when I walked in here, Ryan, when you said a welcoming environment, that, that the imagery popped in. I walked in, and the first person to walk up to me as I crossed the threshold into their gaming area, um, John Burt, with his hand out, say, hey, I don't recognize you. I'm John. Nice to meet you. This is, you know, this is a regular Monday night thing. And, and like you had, uh, um, had said about that uh, ambassador position, he took it upon himself um, to, to make sure that I, the new, obviously, you know, identified as the new person because going back to that whole, you know, intimate, uh, cohesive group, um, I was the one with the with the you know deer in the headlights um, look in my face and and he responded immediately and you know come in in this is what we do here's some games going on there's some open play here you know where are you from and immediately engaged me in um, uh, in a social way that my guard was down I didn't have that fight or flight mechanism want to <laughs> kick in right away right, right. Yeah. and. Um, and that, and I don't know if 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 his awareness to his effect um, was was as pronounced as it was from my perspective. But to me, that was in my head. I'm thinking, I am before I even experience what this night's going to happen. I'm coming again just because of the well, th- this excellent welcome feeling that I, that uh, was was you know provided to me. So. Yeah, I I'm I'm can't I can't say more about. I mean, the organization is absolutely important, but from a social from a social point of view, um, the, the it, who likes to be left out? Yeah, exactly. Right. So and then that is the number one danger, right? Like you said, uh, and even like Ryan was alluding to earlier, uh, some people in the hobby. I would consider myself in this group are introverted, especially when it comes to, I, I think everyone has a level of introversion when you're walking into a group of 20 people who already know each other. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. If, if you can have that ambassador to, uh, to get you over that, that threshold, like you said, that that's night and day difference right there. Yeah. I mean, when I walked in, there was, there was the Sesame street song going off and it was <laughs> one of these things is not. Yeah, like right. it. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, as far as your internal monologue goes, the whole night you're competing with that going, am I fitting in? Am right. I fitting in? Sure. And, and th- yeah, that I would, that was that to me, that was that make or break moment um, that defined the TuneCon community. And, and um, you know, uh, I'm very proud and very happy that we have this in, in Saskatoon. So um, I want to, I want to push this into, cause we talked, we kind of danced around, you know, the idea of, of game groups and communities, um, the cohesiveness of a game group. 
is sometimes is so protected by people, yep. right? It's Definitely. like, hey, I got a game group on Wednesday night. Oh, can I come? Oh, hmm. Yeah, that's, There's that's, a big that's audition thing, process right? for that. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about that. I mean, that 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 tight nip kind of you, you need you need some references before you come to this game night. Oh, you very much do. That's that's not even an exaggeration. <laughs> Just think thinking of my own group. Uh, we we usually play in the winter months when people aren't as busy with sports and and other uh, activities and whatnot. And, and, it's very much the same four to six people that it has been for the last five years, right? And it's not because we don't like playing with other people or anything like that. It's just we we are a, a consistent, reliable group that enjoy the same type of games, and it just happens to work out that way, right? Um, I love going to Tuesday Challenge. I love, um, and, and this is one of the things I really enjoy about board games, I love teaching new games, and Tuesday Challenge is a perfect opportunity where that, where I can just say, okay, I'm bringing Assault on Doomrock. This is what I'm teaching. There's three spots open. Who's in, right? I, I love doing that, but there's still something to be said for a game group where you're sitting down with the same four or five friends that you always sit down with. And I mean, Ryan and Adam have experience with this as well, just with with the decades of gaming that you guys have done, where it's I, it's weird. Be Like you said, you, you don't just randomly add people to that, right? No, man. There's, I mean, you could even equate it to the same thing as like a, a, you know, a senior men's hockey team. Oh, I play hockey. Yeah, that's great. But you're not playing (laughs) hockey with us, right? Yeah, definitely true. So, I mean, how, like Ryan, how, 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 how does a person try to break in from your point of view? How does a person try to, not the words break in, but find a way into these tighter groups? I don't know if you can, because uh, I think the, I mean, if you build a relationship with one person, but it, uh, it's again, that difference in a group and a community, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the group is sort of, to me, uh, the biggest difference is that uh, groups are exclusionary or at least exclusive and communities are inclusive and in trying to bring people in. And that's the big difference. Uh, I think unless, unless a group is recruiting it's hard to break in because then you're not being included, you're intruding. And uh, right. that's, that's, that might not even be your own personal uh, f- uh, worry or feeling that that's what's happening. That's probably the people that you're sitting at the table are like, who's this joker? <laughs> He's <laughs> from Saskatoon. <laughs> the whole dynamic is off now. Um, uh, I want to, I want to um, ju- uh, present this idea that you, that you just popped out here and, and then pitch it to Chad, but, how many times have has somebody left the group and you've gone into this recruiting mode? Mm. Yeah, uh, I think the only time I've actively recruited for something like a private game group is for like a campaign game or a legacy game, honestly. And it comes down to this. This actually happened for Risk Legacy when we played it so many years ago, where we needed five players that would be willing to sit down to 15 games of Risk back and forth. And we... <laughs> And it, it was the same idea where um, we we had three players that were signed signed up, and they they brought in two people. They basically vouched for them. Is is how it worked out. And uh, some of those people joined the group effectively, and we game with them regularly now. And some of them I haven't played with them again since. Right. And it's not that they were bad players or it was a bad experience or anything like that. But it's yeah, it was the chemistry it, wasn't there. 
Well, not even that. It was it was just and maybe the chemistry wasn't there for them and that's why they haven't joined our group again. <laughs> Very this this was and I'm sorry, Kale, I have to bring up this story. Um in Risk Legacy, when you win a game, you get to write your name on the board. Kale is the one player out of five that did not get to write his name on the board before we were done. And there was exactly one game where he almost won. But everyone else made sure that he didn't win that game. <laughs> oh. Game was dropped. So I I very much understand why we haven't gamed with him since. But no, it's it very much. It was an audition process. Very much. It wasn't just oh, I know Kale's into board games. He can join us. It was okay. But this is this is Risk Legacy. This is a fifteen game thing, and we're going to be playing this type of game, and and we're these types of players, and we want to make sure that you're in for the long haul, right? And here's the contract that we want you to sign. You, you laugh, but there's actually a, a signed part of the board. If you're playing Risk Legacy, you sign the board when you start playing that game. <laughs> <laughs> oh, guy, wait, spoiler, spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, it's the first thing you see when okay. you open the box. So um, it's not too bad. But uh, yeah, no one, like Ryan, when you mentioned recruit, it just popped in my head because all of a sudden, you know, every game group's going to have one of those tipping point where it's like, okay, well, if one more person goes and we don't replace this chair, we're down to a two player, you know, repertoire of games. Well, mine's been actually kind of a funny uh, history in that it's sort of gone the opposite direction. One is that um, I got into uh, board gaming in the hobby when I was dating someone who had a lot of friends uh, who played board games. That's actually how I met Adam was through someone I was dating. Uh, And so that's how I sort of got into the hobby. Then when I was living in Regina, it was almost like the uh, opposite of having to recruit people to fit groups because I had no one to play with. It was more, I was part of that broader SAS games community. And then we would have little branch off uh, game groups from that where there'd be specific interests like, oh, the four of us are kind of more interested in getting to some heavy war games, which aren't really suitable for going to the Boston Pizza Tuesday Challenge. So let's like pick a Saturday and do that instead. So it was pretty simple actually because you had hundred people to choose from not like searching out like how are we ever going to find someone to play this game with us yeah the um that's what i'm noticing that happens too at uh and i give a plug for amazing stories who is one of our sponsors um they have friday night board games and um we've we've with that community we've created a whatsapp group so that we can communicate within that group and that group has um not not kind of created its own different group, but from that group, we can pitch out there going, hey, next Saturday, we're going to play, you know, four, you know, three games of Scythe. And right. we're starting at 10 and we're going to have a, right? Or a couple times we've had um, TI4 Saturdays. And it's like, who who's who's in? And the, just all of a sudden people will just, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. We decide how many boards we need. We get it all set up. Because, um, that, yeah, that could be the reverse process of instead of trying to find you know people to join your group it's just be willing to see if a group develops from the community too you can tell adam had to log off because he didn't hear any drooling when you mentioned him. <laughs> definitely am I, am I thinking that he uh that that could be a base of his uh of his new group community is ti4 all day all Very night if anything could ever get him to play games again uh he's a busy busy man but that would definitely be what it would be yeah. That uh, I think that's the same. Uh, I think that's the same Pavlovian bell ring that uh, that Luke has when it comes to train games. It's like Luke, you want a game tonight? Ah, yeah, I'm I'm busy. You could teach me 18xx. 
I'll be over in 10 minutes. <laughs> Sold. Um, Actually, uh, back back to the group thing. Um, I find myself in this kind of odd space where we have four to six people that regularly show up. And like, I haven't really communicated this, but I don't want to add a seventh because having <laughs> seven people at a game night is a huge pain in the ass, right? Either we're playing code names all day or like two smaller games and that's it, not fun. So. Now, have you have you had the opportunity to um, take a group that size and go, okay, well, we're going to have a game of four and a game of three? Or do you, is it part of that group thing that we're all here together, we have to play a game together? It's more often that than not. And a lot of times, like having everyone show up is pretty rare. So when it does happen, we could have a, a party game night, play some Decrypto, play some Just One, play some of the some of the newer fun little word games, right? And we'll have a good time with it. But yeah. if it's a regular occurrence, I would get sick of that pretty quick, right? Well, yeah, I, I don't think it could take too much code names. I mean, it's good, <laughs> fun game, but, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I'm just looking at uh, I'm looking at how 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 much more about this this topic that we could draw on. Um, we we've pretty much hit a, a good a good broad uh, spectrum of games, communities, inclusion, cohesiveness. If you don't mind, there's one point written down that I thought was kind of interesting, and maybe it's because I have a sociology background myself. Then so. do it. I'll just read out the point that as it's written, German sociologist George Simmel argued that as the group becomes greater, the individual becomes separated and grows more alone, isolated and segmented. I don't know what that has to do with gaming, but I think that's a really cool quote. So <laughs> solo games are amazing. This that's is true. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, because I, I mean, there's a few of the of the key points that I took out. I put that one in there just because I'm going to a con. I'm going by myself. I'm going into this large group and there's a potential where I could feel separated from the community. That's a good point. Actually, I could see you walk. I could see a person walking in and not knowing what to do and just sort of like shell shocked and just standing there. Like I don't, and almost feeling uncomfortable and wanting to leave. I could, I could actually see that. Right. And yeah. I've, I've, I mentioned this earlier, but I've, I've seen a trend of this on Twitter around this time when the game conventions and start stuff starts spinning up where someone's really popular on Twitter and they have this huge following and they show up to GDC or, or origins or anything like that. And no one actually knows who they are because they just know their online presence. And meanwhile, the people you've been interacting with for the last year are a buddy, buddy over in the corner. Cause this is their convention. You don't leave that situation feeling good about yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. So there could be a superficial, um, you know, perception going into this too. Right, right. Yeah. Or you set yourself up for failure, right? Yeah. Thinking you're a part of a community and then finding out whether it's self-fulfilling prophecy or not, uh, that you're not really as as intertwined as you would like to think, right? Well, okay. here they think they're like a Dyson Man or Cardboard Conjecture big, but I don't right, think Right, right. <laughs> we're so big, we, we're not even aware of our immensity. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for the fact that I I know myself that I, I I'm it's going to take me ten seconds to go in and and read the room and go okay here or just you know um what is it uh, two years ago Ryan and I went to MeepleCon in um, in Vegas and we walked in and it was immediately one of those feelings where you check the room, you look what's going on, you see what kind of atmosphere it is. And, and the amount of people that were looking up at us 
and kind of waving us in going, hey, we need two more players. You're standing there. Come over here so we can. That for me, that was connected to this whole idea of the individual becomes separated and grows more alone. The group that was there did not allow that to happen to us. Right. That's that welcoming community, right? Yeah. So I instantly Googled MeepleCon Las Vegas. That sounds awesome. I totally go to that. It's now the new, it's the new Dice Tower West because right. um, they, uh, when we were there two years ago, I had advanced uh, an email to uh, Tom Bassel about uh, my, how I use board games in the classroom and if I could ask him some questions and so on and right. so forth. And, and we had about, uh, three, four minutes of quick discussion as he was bouncing around and the frequency of, of them going to that con, because I believe it is connected to gamma. Like it's gamma's in the first half of the week. And then that con was at the, at the back half. So there was a lot of retailers that would just stick around. And, um, the first two years, uh, it, that's basically how it started was, was, sh- was shouldering another community of the gamma people. Right. And, um, it, it, uh, it, it's now turning into, uh, um, I think, I think I'm not going to say this, that, uh, maybe there should be a Saskatchewan contingency that goes next year. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Well, I would, uh, I would say it's this year, but then I saw it ended nine days ago. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no, that that um, that German, and again, I, I don't want to pigeonhole German sociologists about talking about, you know, being alone and depressed, but <laughs> I'm only going to walk through the door if it's open. Um, uh, I think that's this a good point to, uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to end this on a very depressing dark moment here. Um, right. As I, as I go to, as I go to uh, Vancouver, um, anxious and uh, panic attacky, um, uh, I want to give you guys the opportunity to uh, to pitch your podcast and to let people know where they can find you and and what social uh, uh, you had mentioned the BGG Guild and so yeah, give us give us those details so we know where to find you. Yeah, so uh, Ryan, myself, and uh, Adam, who was here earlier, are all part of Of Dyson Men, which is a bi-weekly board game podcast. We've been going for about two years now, maybe a bit more than that. Uh, we used to be on the radio, which was super cool. Now we're just a regular old podcast. But uh, yeah, we do we do the same thing. We we talk about themes. We we talk about games we've played recently. And then we have a good time doing it. And I'm going to make Ryan say our Twitter handle. Uh, <laughs> underscore dice underscore and underscore men. Uh, terrible. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter. We're pretty active on there. Uh, we also have an active BGG guild. Um, but you can get to both of those through just our website of diceandmen.ca. Awesome. And I would like to take this show topic um, and and kind of mix it in with a little bit of uh, announcing that um, we uh, we have this idea on our on our podcast called Car- Cardboard Cohorts, um, which to me is is really important of reinforcing you know who brings into the Kiss community and and, and building upon that and. We, um, in this last season, we uh, have had uh, the good, the bored, and the ugly because, I mean, as that expression goes, you know, dance with the one that brought you. Um, the, um, uh, just keeping, we've kept all season encouraging people to, you know, check out their content. And because we're season two and the end of this month is officially our first year as podcasters in this community. That's great. Congrats. We're one year old. Um, that, um, we are now going to, um, uh, start. And again, 
I'm going to say sorry to you guys, but we're going to start including you guys in that tag. Oh, fine. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> if I'm we sorry. have to. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, I mean, I just, that's my own little kind of mission is, is to uh, push this cardboard cohorts idea and, uh, and just let people know that, that um, the willingness to be a part of a community is, is just a biggest obstacle as, as uh, stepping into a convention door and, and willingly, you know, kind of volunteering yourself to the community. So <laughs> definitely. Um, yeah. And um, so I'm quite happy that, uh, that we've, uh, we've made it through one whole calendar year. Um, yeah. It, it's, uh, uh, it's amazing how time flies, eh? Oh yeah, it's it was one of those things where you, I mean, and you guys probably have the same experience where you get your first couple out there and go, "How can we get to?" You know, you see all these other podcasts going episode 114, and it's like, "Oh man, yeah. holy moly, this is!" And then you just get into a groove, and it just turns into one of these, you know, routine, natural things that uh, as as uh, participants in this community, even if I'm doing it bad, I'm still doing it. <laughs> still doing it. Yep. Yeah. Well, you might so, find like that, so that two years in, you're starting to uh, do episodes and realize when you're about to start, wait, didn't we do this episode before? <laughs> <laughs> it was slightly and, different. I maintain and, that our episode was slightly different than the first one. <laughs> I um, I have to say that because uh, we, we have part of the conjecture um, format is we do reviews. I mean, when I came up with the idea of Cardboard Conjecture, um, I hear all these reviewers going, oh, you can't properly review a game unless you... 12 times and i'm oh, thinking great. i don't do things i like 12 times i have two kids <laughs> right 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 yeah so a um so i uh i thought to myself I, I need to be honest with people and i need to let them know ahead of time what they're getting into and i thought how can i tell them that i'm just going to give you my two-bit opinion and take it or leave it and i'm like well that just sounds like conjecture to me there you go. Perfect word think, for it. I think I'm onto something. And and yep. I I mean not that the whole American political system is based on that, but um <laughs> I could say that my brother's American. And I'm here and they can't do anything legal to me. So <laughs> um yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this up before I get myself into trouble here. <laughs> um uh so I would like to thank you guys for uh coming in and being part of uh our our bigger understanding of what it is to be a part of a group in a community. And, um, and uh, hopefully we can do this, uh, uh, you know, increase the frequency of our visits. Definitely. Mm. We'll start working on Davidson con and uh, yeah. Thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, I'm going to wrap this up and I'm your host, Norm. This is cardboard conjecture and I'll catch you later. We are Bridge City Board Gamers, and you can find us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter at BC Board Gamers. Our Facebook page is Saskatoon Tabletop Games Community. And on Board Game Geek, Guild number 3039.